Turn with me today to the book of Hosea, and this will be the last time we turn here. Hosea chapter 14. Turn to Hosea chapter 14, and we'll be in verse 9. Hosea 14, verse 9 today. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So writes Solomon at the beginning of the book of Proverbs in Proverbs 1.7. And when we ask the question, okay, well, what is wisdom? Right? We, we hear that word. We, we see that word in the scriptures. So, so what is wisdom? Well, wisdom, we could uh, briefly say, is knowledge put to action. Uh, right, so we want to make a distinguishment between knowledge and wisdom. Uh, there are many smart people out there, but they're just because they're smart doesn't mean they're wise, right? And the way we kind of see this, perhaps in in our culture, is we might say there are people who are book smart, and there are people who are street smart, right? There are people who know a lot of things, but that knowledge doesn't lead to wise action in life. Uh, when we look at the Bible, wisdom in the Bible is practical. It's practical. It's not this kind of esoteric or out there knowledge uh, that that somehow unlocks something for us. It is it is practical. Uh, wisdom is a life lived in light of the word of the Lord. How we live our life matters. And that's the point of wisdom. How we live our life matters. And it matters not just for eternity, it matters in the here and now. And as we come to the end of the book of Hosea, there is yet one more word to the people of Israel and to us, and it's a word about wisdom. So today I want us to see in our passage that wisdom is loving God and obeying his commandments. Wisdom is loving God and obeying his commandments. So I'll read for us our verse today, Hosea 14, verse 9, and this is God's word. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. So remember that the book of Hosea is written to the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, predominantly uh, it would have had impact in the southern kingdom of Judah, but Hosea's ministry and mission is to the northern kingdom of Israel. These were supposed to be God's people, but they had abandoned God and his covenant and instead had turned to lip service. So they said, oh yeah, we worship God, uh, but really we're going to go over here. We're going to worship these false gods because we think that they will give us what we want. And what they wanted was prosperity and fertility. They wanted that for themselves, for their children, for their nation. They wanted prosperity and fertility. And if we remember, right, what kind of nation is Israel? They were an agricultural nation, right? That's, that's, what, they, uh, that's what they did. That's what we see a lot in this time of, of the uh, history, in this time of history, is agricultural nations. And so rightly they would be concerned about their agriculture, you live or die if you, if you have food or don't have food, right? So they're, they're concerned about that. 
The problem is, though, they thought that they could ensure their future growth through the worship of false gods. These false gods were the ones that God had commanded them to destroy, and yet here they were on top of every hill and under every green tree, setting up altars and worshiping false gods. They worshiped the Baals and the Asherah. They thought that these gods could bring them what they wanted, what they needed, but in reality, it did the exact opposite. It brought them destruction. So Hosea was commissioned by God to preach to these people, to preach to his kindred. He preaches to them of their unfaithfulness. He calls them out for their spiritual prostitution, right? And, and especially at the beginning of the book of Hosea, we get some very vivid and kind of shocking metaphors about how the people of Israel were acting. He calls them to consider their ways and he calls them to turn back to God. He warns them of coming judgment and even the judgment that was unfolding in that moment uh, as Hosea preached to them. But they didn't listen. By and large, they were unwise. They didn't hear. And that's where we come to at this verse at the end of the book of Hosea. And it's kind of a strange verse because it's, it's, it's kind of a, a separate, distinct unit. That's why we're looking at it separate and distinctly. It doesn't uh, tie immediately into the, the context before it, but it's looking at the whole of the book. So it's kind of like a summary of the whole of the book. It's a call to the people who read this, who hear this preaching of Hosea, and to consider this matter of wisdom. And so let's begin and see that with the wise way. Firstly, the wise way. The scripture reads, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. And the opening of this verse is variously understood depending on your translation. You might see it as a question. It might be a question in your translation. And again, we ask, why is some, sometimes we see questions, why is sometimes we see just declarative statements, right, periods. And the reality is, in the original Hebrew, there are no punctuations. And so we have to determine from the context, okay, is this asking a question or is this uh, posing a statement? And so it's a little unclear here as to which. And so you do see differences in translation. But the point of either understanding this, right, is so whether we understand it as a question or whether we understand it as a statement, the point is this. The wise person will understand these things and the discerning or the prudent person will know them. And the question for us to understand then is exactly this. What are these things, right? What are these things that Hosea is referring to? And I've already tipped my hand here. I don't think it's just what comes immediately before it. I don't think that Hosea is writing this about chapter 14. I think he is writing this. God is speaking to his people all the way back to Hosea chapter 1, verse 1. That from the very outset, all that transpires in the book of Hosea, the, we are meant to read this verse and understand that these are these things that he is referring to. These things are the, are the things that Hosea has delivered to us. These things are the oracles of judgment and the oracles of restoration, or the oracles of woe and the oracles of weal. And what Hosea is telling us here is that those who will get it, those who will understand 
and be determined to act are those who are wise, understanding, wise, and discerning. It's not to say, by the way, this is not to say that the wise man just reads the book of Hosea and goes, ah, got it, done. No, it takes digging. It takes work, right? It takes work for us. It takes work for the translators to, to understand what the Hebrew means, right? So it takes work, but it what is meant here is, right, is that the only person who will walk away from the book of Hosea and really truly understand it is the wise person. It's the only person who can walk away with knowing. And we may ask the question, well, why is this the case? Why do we have to be wise to understand Hosea? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction, right? That's Proverbs 1-7 again. To have wisdom, right? To have wisdom, we must know God. And it is in knowing God that we can understand his word, right? This book of Hosea is God's word. It's designed for the wise to pick it up and understand. And it's designed for the simple to pick it up, to study it, to apply themselves to know God, and therefore get wisdom, and therefore understand it. What is Understand what is transpiring in the land of Israel. right? Because ultimately what the book of Hosea is, is more than just a book that tells us what is going to happen to the people in the northern kingdom of Israel. It's more than just a foretelling, a prophecy of what will happen, and from our perspective, right, something that happens in the past. So this is more than just a history book to us. This is a book that tells us about who God is. We could say it's a theology book, right? And sometimes that word scares us, right? Ooh, theology. But it just means study of God. And that's what this book is. It is a theology book. And by the way, that's true of the whole Bible. When we look at the whole Bible, the point of the history sections, and this is going to be really difficult for us to understand uh, or maybe agree with in, in some sense, even the genealogies are not just there to take up space on the page. They're there to tell us about who God is. And by the way, one, one aside here, I'm going to have an aside to my aside, is even in the genealogies, one thing that we see throughout them is the faithfulness of God. Why could the people of Israel even track who they were? Because God is faithful, right? So, so we have to understand that when we read the scriptures, we're doing more than just gaining information about a time in history. We're gaining information if we study ourselves, right? Study it for ourselves, study and look into it. We're learning who God is, how he intercedes in history, and who we are in relation to him. So what does the book of Hosea tell us about who God is? Well, I, I want us to see next the right way. So the right way. And this little phrase gives us the, the indication. It says, for the ways of the Lord are right. So one dimension about this book, the book of Hosea, 
that tells us about God, what it teaches us about God, is that God's ways are right, or we might say just, or we could say straight. God's ways are holy, righteous. There is no hint of evil in the ways of God. As James writes in James 1.13, James 1.13, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Right? So when you're tempted by sin, don't say, well, God's doing this to me. No, God can't be tempted with evil, and he doesn't tempt anyone else with evil. Doesn't happen. James goes on to say, uh, James goes on to write there that says, temptations that arise in you arise from within you. The reason you sin is because you're tempted to it of your own flesh, and then you sin, and then you die. Uh, that's the track there. But what do we know about God, right? God is holy. He is holy, 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 right? As the angels cry out in the vision of Isaiah in Isaiah 6. And why do they cry out, holy, holy, holy? Because he is the superlative of holy. He is the holiest. There is none holier than God. When we talk about holiness, what are we talking about? That, that he's set apart. He's distinct. He's unlike. He is unlike sinful humanity. Nothing, and listen, this is, this is fundamental to who God is. Nothing that God says or that God does is ever tainted with evil. Nothing. Nothing. So if God says something, it is right. If God does something, it is just. And that's hard for us to understand. Understand? Like, I, I get that. It's hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to believe. We struggle with the reality of the nature of God because we look around and see evil around us, among us, and in us. We are steeped in sin and in evil. We are steeped in these things, and it can be hard for us to imagine that there is anything out there, in here, or anywhere else that is not tainted with sin and with evil. It's hard for us to believe. It's hard for us to grasp the greatness and glory of God, and at some level, we always want to reduce it to what we understand. To what we experience in our own lives. But God is not like us. He is not. He's not like you. He's beyond us. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Or I like how Paul puts it to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1.25. 1 Corinthians 1.25. For the foolishness of God, if we could even say there is such a thing, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so let's do the math here, right? If God's foolishness is wiser than our wisdom, than our collective wisdom, how much wiser must he really be? If his strength 
is such that his weakness is stronger than the strength of men, how much stronger must he be? And in one sense, we don't know. We can't know. There is an element here of in our limitedness, we cannot comprehend truly the omnipotence, the all-wisdom, the all-goodness of God. As for man, what are we like? Well, Proverbs 16.25 tells us, Proverbs 16.25, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. And that's our problem, right? Because there are ways that we think are right, but aren't. We're assured, we're, we feel secure in the idea that I'm doing the right thing here. And we can be so sure of that and still be dead wrong about it. It may seem rise and right to place a ladder against a tree and to start cutting a branch. And then when we're on the ground looking up at the sky, wonder what happened, right? That's a a silly example, but perhaps more serious. Let's think about the book of Hosea and the people of the northern kingdom of Israel. They thought that it was prudent. They thought it was wise to worship false gods. They thought it was wise to multiply their altars to these false gods. Right? Think about this. More altars. That's good. More worship. Hey, that's good too. That means more blessing, right? If we worship more, we get blessed more. That, that sounds like good math to us. Hosea 8.11. Hosea 8.11. Because Ephraim has multiplied altars for sinning, they have become to him altars for sinning. And the point of that verse there is God is saying, these people multiply their offers to altars to offer more sin offerings on them, but all that that does for them is increase the amount of sin. So they go into it thinking, well, I'm going to be at a net loss of sin here. But in reality, they just add on more sin to their sin. And so now they've multiplied their sin instead of reducing it. They accomplished the opposite of what they thought was right. There are many ways that seem right to a man, but its end is death. But the ways of the Lord are right. Go back to our verse here, right? For the ways of the Lord are right. It is right for God to chastise his people. It is right for God to visit the curses of his covenant upon them. It is right for God to declare this. Go back to Hosea 13, verse 16. Hosea 13, 16. Samaria shall bear her guilt because she has rebelled against her God. They shall fall by the sword. Their little ones shall be dashed in pieces and their pregnant women ripped open. That is just and right. And I understand that we may recoil at that. When we go back and we read the book of 
uh, Joshua or Judges or those early books when we see God command to go into a place and to destroy a people, children and all, we recoil and say, how could God be good and do that? It's difficult for us to understand. We recoil at these things because we don't really believe sin is as bad as sin is and that God is as holy as God is. But wisdom, discernment, understanding, they reveal these truths to us because they reveal to us God and his ways. And the challenge for us, the challenge for you, is to come to the scriptures without being prejudiced against them. We like to come to the word of God with our own presuppositions about how we think God should be and how God should act. We think we know the way the world works and the ways of God. But hear this again, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. For my way, my thoughts are not your thoughts and my ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so if the book of Hosea, if the Bible is God's thoughts, we have to first acknowledge when we come to them that we may not understand them. We may not agree with them. And the problem isn't with the Bible. The problem isn't with God. The problem lies in us. One commentator puts it this way. The key to the interpretation of the book of Hosea, and we might add here of the whole Bible, the key to the interpretation of the book of Hosea is not intelligence, but submission. What the people of Israel in Hosea's day needed was humility and submission to God and his ways. They needed to acknowledge, confess their sinfulness before God. They needed to plead to him for a new heart, a renewed mind. They needed God's word and not their own. And the problem is they weren't wise. They weren't prudent. And we could go back and trace why that is in the book of Hosea. They didn't know God. They didn't understand him. They didn't seek him. Instead of thinking of God in his ways, they only thought what they did was right. We could go back to the book of Judges and see the people of Israel committing the same error then, right? Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. For there wasn't a king in the land. And what about you? Do you consult with God about what is right? Do you seek to understand and know him? Do you, as Solomon says it, fear the Lord? Do you fear the Lord? And let me say, even within the church, we make this error because among God's people, we are quick to jump to pragmatic solutions and programs before we ever consult the word of God. Before we ever say, what does God's word say about this? We say, well, what does the world say about this? What do I say about this? What do you say about this? And then maybe if we're really desperate, we go to God in prayer and say, God, well, you know, what do you, what do you say about this? But the problem is that before we ever would bow our heads or kneel in prayer, we jump to brainstorming our way out of whatever the circumstance is. 
And should we wonder why the American church is in the position that it is in when we have abandoned knowledge of God? Is it any wonder that the American church is in the position it is in when from so many pulpits, from so many pastors, there is more about self-help, there is more about you feeling good about yourself than there is about the glory and the goodness and the wonder and the majesty and the holiness of God? Are we any better than the Israelites in Hosea's day who thought they knew enough about God to think that he wouldn't notice or care about their worship of false gods? And listen for us, for this church. This is the standard that you need to hold your elders to. This is what you need to hold me to. Do we consult the ways of God before we make decisions? Do we seek God's wisdom on the the issues that we are facing? Or do we simply think, well, we got this under control. Our ways are right. Well, let's continue in this vein of thought with the upright walk. The upright walk. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. And the them are the ways of the Lord. So when we see here the upright walk, in the ways of the Lord. And how will we know the ways of the Lord unless we know the Lord himself? We cannot know God's ways unless we know who God is. So that's the first step, right? That's the first thing we need to do. We have to know the Lord. We have to study his word. We have to seek him. The upright are the, are the godly, are the righteous, the just. The upright are the ones who seek after God to know him. They obey his commands. Wisdom is loving God and obeying his commands. They follow the words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes 12.13. Ecclesiastes 12.13, right? This, this difficult book of wisdom. What is the end of the matter? The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. And we may ask the question, well, how is a man made godly? How is he made righteous? Is this something that we can work our way towards? Well, you could turn to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 and 15. Paul writes, <coughs> For the love of Christ controls us, we have, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Or we might use the more uh, memorable verse or, or known verse there, recognized verse from that chapter, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So how are we made righteous? How, how, how do we become upright? It's the work of God in us, right? It's God's work to change us. He works to sanctify us, to make us holy as Christ is holy. For without God's work in us, we are dead. We are disposed always to sin. And I pray that God opens your ears to hear this without the intervening work of God, without his grace. We are only ever disposed to sin. That is what we will. That is what we want. And don't take my word for it. We could look at Romans 3, 10 through 20. Romans 3, 10 through 20. As it is written, 
None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. This is who humanity is. This is the way of all mankind. Contrary to what our culture preaches, the word of God makes clear we're not neutral things. Right? We, we in our culture have this idea that a baby is this like little neutral blank slate and we can write on him good things or we can write on him bad things and that, that sends the way that they go. But no, you don't have to teach a child to be evil. It's natural to them. You don't have to teach a child how to be selfish. It's natural to them. Right? What do you have to teach a child? How to be good. Right? How to have manners. When we deny this reality about ourselves, we become fools. <clears throat> we deny the truth about God. But if God has mercy on us, if he gives us his spirit to regenerate us, if we come to see Christ Jesus, then we are changed and we are transformed. And then Paul writes later in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6, 17 through 19, Romans 6, 17 through 19 but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Right? Paul writes that now that we have been set free from slavery to sin, by the work of God in us, by trusting in Christ, we are free as to sin and have become slaves of righteousness. And I know we may balk at that a little bit because we're like, well, man, I don't want to be a slave to nothing. Right? That's, our, that's our thought. But there, you can be, either be a slave to sin or you can be a slave to righteousness. There is no middle ground. It's either or. There are only two ways, sin or righteousness, death or life, faithlessness or faithfulness. And when we pursue righteousness, when we walk in the ways of the Lord, we become who we were first created to be. We become most human. Not when we fall deeper into sin, but when we walk in righteousness. God did not create us to live in sin. He created us to walk in righteousness. And that's the point of the Beatitudes, by the way, in the Sermon on the Mount as one example of this. The idea of being blessed there is this idea of flourishing as a human. And we flourish most when we are poor in spirit, mournful, meek. Hungry and thirsty for righteousness, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, and we flourish most even when others revile us 
for claiming the name of Christ. And here's the reality too. In heaven, heaven will be walking in the ways of the Lord always. If we shall be in heaven, we shall be righteous, holy, just, godly, upright. If we think that the ways of the Lord are a bore and a drag here, we will hate heaven. We won't be satisfied in heaven. For myself, I cannot wait for the day when I will be done with this body of sin. And I can say to that, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So then with my, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. And I ask you to consider this for your own life. What do, you, what do you make of the ways of the Lord? What do you think about his commands? Do you love them? Do you, do you love God's word? Do you strive for that holiness without which you will not see the Lord? Or do you hate God's commands? Do you think he got life wrong? Do you think that to flourish as a human being, you have to have the sin you want? We'll consider the end of this verse. But transgressors stumble in them. The transgressors stumble. That's what I want us to see lastly. The transgressor stumble. And again, the them here is the ways of the Lord. But transgressors stumble in the ways of the Lord. We find that the transgressors or the rebellious stumble in the ways of the Lord. And first let us recognize what is meant by transgressor and then let us consider what this word stumble indicates. So first, transgressor. Typically, when we talk about transgressions in the Bible, we talk about violation of a moral boundary. So we can look at it this way. If we go along and we see a do not trespassing sign and we cross over into the place that we are not supposed to trespass, we become trespassers, right? That's what we call it. But we might also say we become transgressors. We have transgressed a boundary, a limit. And by the way, in some parts, that will increase the lead content of your body. We're talking about rebelliousness, though, here, right? When we talk about transgressors, we're talking about rebelliousness and rebellion against God. Whom are we rebelling against? God. And again, this is the state of humanity without the inter intervention of God. This is the state of every person born on this earth. We are born rebels. We are born rebellious. And as a little bit of evidence here, what is often uh, one of the first few words that a child speaks. No. And sometimes they yell it, shout it, cry it, all kinds. But what is that word there for? It is an act of rebellion, right? I want you to do this. No. I want to do what I want to do. And even if they can't express anything else, they can express their rebellion against their parents. And this is why we struggle so much with the commands of God, right? This is why this book, uh, the, the word of God makes no sense to the world at large. They hear the command and they want to disobey. It's like Paul indicates in the book of Romans, right? When I heard, don't covet, the, the first thing my flesh did, the first thing I did, the first thing I wanted was to covet everything. I hear the command and I want to disobey. By the way, that's the same for me. Went to a baseball game, then they always want you to do things there. They, they want you to make noise and shout and sing. And the first thing that my flesh says when I hear the command, make noise, I want to be 
quieter than I could ever possibly be. Because who are you to tell me to make noise? Right? Such is the way of rebellion in me, right? And that's, that's where we are at as humanity. Romans 1.32. Romans 1.32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Even though we may know that God says of our sin, it leads to death. There are many ways that seem right to a man. Instead of changing our ways, we say we don't care. And not only that, we don't care what God says and we want to do our own thing, but also we want to give approval to other people who do the things that we do. Why do we live in a culture that celebrates sin? That's not unique to American culture, by the way. That's true of the whole world. Every culture under this, uh, under the heavens does this. They celebrate sin. Why? Why do we have parades to our sinfulness? Because one, we ask the question, how could so many be so wrong? Because if someone else is doing it too, we feel comforted to know, well, if they're doing it, I can't be wrong. If other people are doing it, it doesn't make me weird. They're doing it too. So let's just approve one another. But understand this, grasp this. The standard of our behavior is not others or ourselves. The standard of our behavior is not others or ourselves. The standard of our behavior is set by our creator, by our God. And whether we acknowledge that to be true or not, that's the standard. So the transgressors rebel against the ways of the Lord and they stumble in them. So let's consider this word stumble. And we may think that stumble just means a little trip. Like, you know, going down to Kroger, that's a little trip. No, in the context of the scriptures, stumble means nothing less than divine judgment. This word means divine judgment. Don't be fooled and think, oh, it's just a little thing here. No, it means God's wrath poured out we get the understanding of this from within the book of hosea itself we could go back to hosea 4 verses 4 and 5 hosea 4 4 and 5 <coughs> yet let no one contend and let none accuse for with you is my contention o priest you shall stumble by day the prophet also shall stumble with you by night and i will destroy your mother Right? And the indication there is, again, it's not just this little thing. It's destruction. It's devastation. It's punishment. It's God's wrath. It's what David sings of in Psalm 37, 38. Psalm 37, 38. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. So let me be clear here. Those who rebel against God and his ways will suffer under his divine wrath for all eternity. That is wisdom. And the ways of the Lord are right. Revelation 21, 6 through 8. Revelation 21, 6 through 8. See, see the, the difference here between the upright and the transgressor. And he said to me, 
This is Jesus speaking. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. So you may enjoy your rebellion now. You may think that your sin makes you happy and that life is good. But understand this. In the end, your sin will only serve you in this life. And your sin will only bring you as much happiness as this life can afford. And after this life comes judgment. If you are wise, if you are prudent and discerning, you will heed the words of the book of Hosea. Yes, they were written first to the people of the northern kingdom of Israel. And yes, the people of the northern kingdom of Israel are gone. But it doesn't mean they don't have any relevancy for us. If you look to this verse, uh, to this book of Hosea, you will find what God has revealed of himself. You'll find out what God says of his own ways and what that means in relation to you. If you are understand, if you are wise, you will know the Lord and walk in his ways. And in this is life. But if you rebel, if you're determined to do your own thing, if you go your own way, understand that there is a day coming when God will judge you for your rebellion. He will treat you as the traitor that you are. And you can offer no defense. And you have no right to an appeal. You will stumble and fall into that pit of hell prepared for the faithless, feckless followers of Satan. But know this, Isaiah 53 10 through 11. Isaiah 53, 10 through 11. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. And like the Ethiopian eunuch, we may ask, who does Isaiah write this about? Of himself or another? And it's about another. It's about Jesus. It's about Christ Jesus who came to this place to bear the wrath of God for his people's sins. And in so doing, he made it possible that we could be set free from the power of sin. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is a very precious verse because it tells us about the mercy of God, our creator. God made provision for rebels to be redeemed. He made an offering for sin to blot out our transgressions. Learn the ways of the Lord. And hear this from Isaiah 55, verses 7 through 9. Isaiah 55, 7 through 9. I want to give some broader context to one of the verses I gave earlier. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. <coughs> for as the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And I would just add here that God's ways certainly are not our ways because what do we do with rebels? We put them to death. We give them no mercy. We shoot at trespassers. We don't make them sons and daughters. Friends, you may think you are safe and satisfied in your sin, but you're not. You may think your rebellion against God here or there doesn't amount to much, but you will stumble. You will be cast forever from the good presence of God unless you confess your sins, unless you repent of them, turn from them, and turn and trust in Christ Jesus. Plead with God this day to forgive you of your sins. Ask him to change your heart. Pray that he would save you. And then learn of him. Study his word. Walk in his ways. Not that you can earn salvation. Not that you repay him for your salvation because you can't. But because his love for you would have you do no less. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I would ask, are you wise and prudent? Do you understand the words of God in this book of Hosea? Have you studied them to understand who God is and what his ways are? And if so, your life will undoubtedly be patterned after God. You will walk in the ways of Christ Jesus. Make that the aim of your life. We might say it as the song says it. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Never be satisfied with your knowledge of God as it is. Never be satisfied and settled into the thinking that the scriptures have nothing else to teach you. For as long as you live, as long as you mine this book, you will find such great and precious treasures every day. This, by the way, has been the testimony of the saints of old, and you will find it true too. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we pray that we would know you, that we would understand your ways, and that we would walk in them. And Lord, we confess in this moment, God, we confess how we have no ability of our own to to understand you, to know you, to know your word. Father, we confess that unless it is by your grace and mercy to open our eyes and to unstop our ears, we can see or hear nothing of the truth of who you are. Father, we plead with you and pray that, that you would indeed give us understanding. Father, we pray for wisdom. God, wisdom that we would understand the book of Hosea. Wisdom to understand who you are. Wisdom to understand what that means for us. Wisdom to understand your ways that we would walk in them. Again, Father, we we confess our complete inability to come to you on our own terms because of the sinfulness of our sin because of the greatness of the evil that lies within us, because of the naturalness of our flesh and its complete inability and its deadness and the deadness of our souls to get anything of who you are. Oh God, we pray for mercy. And God, for those of us who confess Christ, 
those of us who trust in him, those of us who pattern our ways after him. Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for the mercy that you have shown us, and we cannot express that enough. We cannot sing enough songs to cover it. We cannot write enough to express it. We cannot, Lord God, pray our thanksgivings enough to satisfy the reality of the debt that we owe unto you. And Father, we pray. We pray for our family members, our friends, our co-workers, our acquaintances who do not know you. God, we pray because we know Oh God, we know that unless you intercede, unless we are faithful to preach, to proclaim the good news unto them, Father, unless they are saved, they will stumble. They will die in their sins. And they will suffer in eternity your wrath for sins. Oh, Father, have mercy on them and have mercy on us. Lord God, save. Save the souls of sinners. Redeem rebels. And God, we wonder at this we are in awe of your ways because such is your purpose to redeem rebels, to forgive transgressors, to give them a new heart, one that doesn't need to be taught your law, but it is written upon their heart. O oh, Father, be praised, be glorified, and may we draw near to you and know you. For what greater joy is there under heaven or on earth? We pray in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.